1: Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience.
0: Waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to A Way With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
1: And I'm Martha Barnett. We got an email from a listener named Susan who wrote, While climbing up my family tree, I found the given name hate-evil what would one call that kind of name? I'm assuming there were Puritans. And Grant, it turns out that there were indeed Puritans who went by the first name Hate Evil. It's just like it sounds, a combination of hate and evil. And there is a term for this kind of name. It's called a hortatory name. Hortatory. Hortatory. It's from the Latin for encourage or urge. And these hortatory names were given to children as a way of exhorting them to, to live up to that quality. So, for example, there were little Puritan babies with these names, these hyphenated names like be courteous, search the scriptures, sorry for sin, and fight the good fight of faith.
0: That is far beyond patience, hope, charity, and so forth, right?
1: (laughs) Isn't it? And those were the exceptions. I mean, most of them uh, in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, for example, Mm -hmm. the vast majority of them had names like Sarah and Elizabeth and Mary and John and Joseph. But then you had the occasional abstinence, comfort, deliverance, Increase and humiliation.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a
1: humble name, increase right? Increase
0: Mather. We all know Increase, yeah, right? right? Yeah.
1: It's kind of odd, isn't it? And the list goes on and on. There was at least one child named Wrestling.
0: <laughs> Wait, like arm
1: wrestling? Kind I'm, of wrestling I'm, with a w? I'm thinking it's wrestling between good and evil. Uh, or, you very know, good. Wrestling yes. with big questions. And then another one named Thanks. Can you imagine? Thanks grows up and you're. Saying,
0: I'm sitting here going, what are the nicknames for these people? Hate evil? Do they just call her Haiti? <laughs> yeah. Or Hattie? Something like that.
1: Or Hey Villa? Thanks? Would you hand me that? Thanks. Thanks.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my! I bet they went by their middle names every one of them a friend of mine here in san diego recently had a brand new beautiful baby girl and he named her well her middle name is peligro the spanish word for danger so her her middle name is literally danger
1: whoa (laughs) (laughs) and i was thinking that was odd well sometimes they were middle names sometimes they had big huge middle names like if christ had not died for thee thou hadst been damned
0: that's a middle name yeah
1: he became an economist i think seriously
0: We'd love to hear about the historical names in your family. What did they used to call your great, great, greats? We Just do tell us, 877-929-9673, or email us, words at waywardradio.org.
2: Hello, you have a way with words. Howdy, Grant. Hi, Martha. This is Jacob Williamson from Austin, Texas. It's Hi, nice Jacob. You. Hi, Howdy. Jacob. Welcome to the show. Thank you. How can we help? Well, there is a type of joke, or maybe a joke structure, that seems to have been making the rounds lately on uh, radio ads. It uh, might be a perception bias, but the joke might go something like, um, what's the difference between a lawyer and a wolf? One's a ravenous predator that preys on the sick and the weak and the old and the dying, and the other is a wolf.
3: So <laughs>
2: if you're doing it as a, as an ad, and I'll, I'll try to do the voice, um, what's it like driving the new Sunday Omega 4 versus the other top-selling car? One has a 3.6-liter V6 spe- six-speed transmission, 360-degree uh, moving object detection system and built-in waffle iron sandwich grill, and the other is just a car. <laughs> so what I'm wondering is, um, when I what I learned from my English degree is that in rhetoric, there's a word for everything, every turn of sentence structure or argument type. So I'm wondering if there's a word for this sort of bait-and-switch joke.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the term I was going to use was bait-and-switch joke, actually. Oh, well, that's that easy. <laughs> I don't know that there's anything more technical... Than that, I mean, it's sort of Grant a, uh, a version of a paraprosdokian. Are you familiar with that one, Jacob?
2: Uh, you mentioned it recently, but I don't quite remember it.
1: Yeah, it comes from Greek words that mean contrary to expectations. And it's, uh, you know, it's lines like, I wondered why the baseball was getting bigger, and then it hit me. <laughs> or Einstein developed a theory about space, and it was about time, too. Which is, <laughs> you know, we're, oh, good, we got Grant on that well, one. Well, <laughs> hello. Hi, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, so I would say it's a version of a paraprosdokian, But bait and switch is the only term I've ever really seen for that. And at a
0: higher level, like a lot of jokes, what happens is at the very end of the joke, you are forced to reinterpret what you've just heard. So Mm -hmm. it's called a forced reinterpretation. Um, yeah, and, and mm-hmm. so many kinds of humor and comedy fall into that. And when you take joke writing classes, and they exist, or humor classes, if you're a public speaker or a comedian or a script writer, they'll talk to you about this, uh, trying to find that pacing so that you, you force that reinterpretation at the right moment when your audience is mm-hmm. best primed to laugh at what they've just come to understand. Yeah. Right, and the
2: short, short story works like that, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a variety of and that's what I would say. But you're right, rhetorical terms exist for just about everything, don't they?
2: Yeah, there's always a wonderful Latinate word for just that turn of phrase.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe um, some attorney listening knows this and will uh, call us.
2: I just want more attorney jokes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, the what's the difference course. between a mosquito and a lawyer? One is a blood-sucking parasite and the other is an insect. I mean, you know, a lot. What a little of that goes a long way, I think. Yeah, that's true.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Sure, thanks, okay, Jacob. Okay, sure thing. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Grant, I have one more example of a bait-and-switch joke. How about this one? You'll appreciate it. There are two novels that could change a bookish 14-year-old's life, The Lord of the Rings and Atlas Shrugged. One is a childish fantasy that often engenders lifelong obsessions with its unbelievable heroes, leading to an emotionally stunted, socially crippled adulthood, unable to deal with the real world. The other, of course, involves orcs.
0: (laughs) Okay
1: Some people will find that funny
0: (laughs) I'll buy that (laughs) 877-929-9673 Email us Words at waywardradio.org And our Twitter handle is W-A-Y-W-O-R-D Hello, you have a way with words
4: Hi, uh, this is Amanda Winger from Richmond, Virginia
0: Hello, Amanda Hi, Amanda How you doing?
4: Hi, I'm doing great I'm such a fan of your show Oh,
0: yay Welcome (laughs) Glad to have you here
4: How can we help you? Well, I am the executive director of the Conductors Guild, which is an international organization for music conductors. Oh, cool. And, yeah, we have an issue that just will not go to rest, so I'm hoping that you can help us.
5: Okay. All right, we'll
4: try. <laughs> our, so our name, the Conductors Guild, we need to know whether there should be an apostrophe at the end or conductor S or no apostrophe at all. Um, when we were founded... There was an apostrophe after the S, mm-hmm. but somewhere along the way, it dropped out, and um, we still have board meetings about it. <laughs> I mean, we dedicate some time in our board meetings, so we kind of need to put this to bed. <laughs>
0: How yeah. long has this been discussed?
4: Well, not long, but I mean, it, it just won't die. When we think we've come to the decision, no apostrophe, uh, you know... Uh, I'll get an email from somebody, but here's why we should have an apostrophe. So.
1: <laughs> and what do they say? I'm curious about their apostrophe philosophy.
4: Well, the last one, I think someone quoted the Elements of Style or something um, that it should be apostrophe s. I don't know, um, but and we we run across um, also. You know, we'll go to hotels for events, and nine times out of ten, it's welcome conductor apostrophe s guild. And so we all cringe. <laughs> so, I
1: don't know. So would you say the majority of your members are apostrophe-free? Yes, I think so. Okay. Yeah. And and are you allowed to say what you are? <laughs> I, I, I'm i apostrophe-free as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you on this one. Me too. And uh, my feelings about it have changed. I used to like how it looked to have an apostrophe there, but... Um, you know, there's, there's just so much room for confusion. Should it go between the R and the S? Should it, go, should it go on the end? I think for simplicity and clarity, just don't have it at all.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I really wish in school, Amanda, that they had taught us about the kind of adjective properties of nouns. Nouns can lend their characteristics to other nouns. And this is something that for some reason people have confusion with when they become adults. So I, it should be taught in the schools. That's what's happening here. If you want a version of this name that kind of solves the whole problem, you would call yourself Guild of Conductors. And there's no apostrophe called for at all there. And what we can see when we phrase it that way is there's no possession taking place here. The guild is not the property of the conductors. Actually, what's happening is the conductors are providing the characteristic of the guild. They are more or less describing the guild as being about conductors or related to conductors or, or somehow affiliated with conductors. But there's no ownership there. And uh, and as this argument continues and you have more and more board meetings, because I know this isn't the final <laughs> word, just let us know what the progress is like. Yeah, okay? send
1: us the minutes. Sure. Well, I'm hoping
4: to close the case on
1: this one. Okay, yeah. take it care. Thanks, Thanks for calling. Thank you. Cheers bye night.
0: bye. 877 You know, when you're really kissed, I mean, good and well, yeah. and your toes kind of do that thing where they curl up? They
1: curl, toe curl. I saw a term yeah.
0: for that this week. Oh. It's called a foot pop.
1: <laughs> the foot, foot
0: pop. pop. Yeah. The kiss is so good. Your, your foot does that little thing.
1: <laughs> I thought a foot pop was cold toes in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh, that's popsicle toes. I'm popsicle sorry. Popsicle
0: <laughs> toes. If you've heard any new words, give us a call, 877-929-9673, or email us, words at org.
1: Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hi. Hi, who's this? Uh this
6: is Javier uh, Garcia, uh, and also I'm Flavio Schwartz. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, two guys, from, two people uh, on the Maloja. line, and you're calling from where?
6: yeah.
5: Uh, All
0: right, here we go. Well, what's on your mind, gentlemen?
5: We've been talking about uh, the way that I speak. So Flavio is from uh, Italy, and uh, you know I'm from I'm from Texas, and he's noticed that I tend to use the word use <laughs> often. Hello. <laughs> yeah, Hello. and he actually he came with a list <laughs> of various things that I said, and I was wondering like if uh, you know this is a dialect thing or if. You know, this is just uh, me using lazy English. Are you <laughs> saying something
1: use? Like use, or, like use guys or use like, use something?
3: So he would use, for instance, he could use um, a glass of wine. Uh, so food, for instance, like ice cream, a glass of wine, coffee. But also he could use a shower. He could use a ride. He could use a nap. <laughs> he could use basically everything. Oh, and so, okay. I was wondering whether this is just like being lazy and use the word use for everything. And um, yeah, or this is like proper English. Since I'm somehow learning English, yeah, yeah, I wanted to know this.
0: Flavio, uh, he's Javi uses it exactly like many other English speakers do. The word use has a lot of meanings, but one of them is to, to put into service or to employ. So... Technically he's correct. I could use a glass of wine means he could put a glass of wine into service to to relax himself, right? I could use a nap. He's going to employ a nap to to, um, restore his energy.
1: It seems kind of informal, though, doesn't it? Oh, I could really use a
0: but. There's a nap No, no right way now. for us to know whether or not you are overusing it, Javi. I mean, is there something that comes out every other line?
1: Yeah, or are you saying I could utilize a glass of wine? That would be that would be wrong unless you unless you use the glass of wine to uh, clean something.
5: If you're appropriating it for another use. Yeah. Maybe I do uh, utilize ears <laughs> a little too much. <laughs> you know, try to diversify my lexicon a little bit. <laughs> uh, so it
0: might not be lazy, but it might just be a faddish word for you personally, right? Uh, yeah. A faddish, yeah, faddish a kind habit. of syntax. Yeah, I have it. I
7: have
1: it.
0: Hmm, yeah. You might be the happiest callers we've ever had, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your call. If, you, if you've got any other disputes, uh, give us a ring sometime. We'll sort it out, all right? Okay, that sounds good. Yeah. Okay, take care. Bye bye.
5: <laughs> all right.
0: All right. Uh, La Jolla sounds like a fun place.
1: Yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I could use a trip to La Jolla?
0: Well, we, we like settling all sorts <laughs> of disputes. 877 929 9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Thank you. You're listening to Away with Words, the show about words and language and how we use them. I'm Grant Barrett.
1: And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us now is our quiz guy, Greg Pliska. Hello, Greg.
8: Hello, Martha. Hello, Grant. Hi, buddy. What's up? What do you have for us? I have another puzzle today, and it consists entirely of spoonerisms. That's where you shift the initial sounds on a pair of words. You're familiar with those, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. So I will give you definitions for both the original phrase and the spoonerized phrase, and then you guess the phrases. Mm. So, for example, here are two definitions. The first is a stream of information in 140-character increments, and the second is a better-tailored suit jacket material. Tweet and tweed. But
0: Mm. they need more than that, right?
8: Yeah, you think uh, think about uh, a two-word phrase for the stream of information that comes in one hundred character increments.
1: Hmm. Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. And.
8: Um, Witter,
0: what something tweed.
8: Swap the first sounds oh, of those two words. Oh, fitter
1: tweed. Fitter tweed. Fitter tweed. Oh, okay. Very better good. tailored
8: suit jacket oh, material this is fitter gonna be tweed. A workout. Okay. Also, I should tell you that the first of the phrases will always be familiar or commonplace. And the second will usually be quite fanciful. Are you ready? And terribly clever. Yes, I'm ready. The typical freelancer's wage metric and two mantas going out for dinner and a movie.
0: So hourly rate, <laughs> no, daily rate, and
8: um, really... You're so close. Yeah, make it uh, hourly daily day, rate, rate, day rate.
0: Day rate. Day rate. Yeah, day and rate date. and ray date.
8: There we go. A day rate and a ray date, which is two mantas going out for dinner in <laughs> a movie. Very good. All right. How about this is an item often seen in certain beer commercials, and the other is legislation to stop cows from ruminating. Can. Yeah, can.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a beer can.
8: Uh, it's a specific brand. Bud can? A bud can.
1: A bud can and a band cud. Band. A cud ban. Band. <laughs> That's
8: right. We're going to stop ah. those cows from ruminating. <laughs> all right. Uh, while we're on agriculture, let's try this one. A California agricultural area that runs roughly from Redding all the way to Bakersfield, and an attack on the abdomen. A Central, a Central
1: Valley <laughs> and a Ventral Mitchell Sally. Sally. Oh exactly. My gosh. gosh.
8: Um, a royal Dansk dessert offering, often seen at Christmas time, and a guy who takes bets on a Coast Guard boat.
1: So something cutter and butter and
0: Yep.
8: Yep. Um, the dessert is a butter butter starts with the c cookie. Yes, butter, butter butter cookie. cookie. Cutter Cutter Bookie. Bookie. (laughs) Cutter Bookie, the guy who takes bets on a Coast Guard boat. (laughs) All right. Here's one from Pop Music. A Street in a Beatles song and the Discomfort Caused by Comedian Bruce.
0: So Abbey
8: Road? Mm. No? A different street in a different Beatles song.
1: Penny Lane and Lenny Payne? Exactly. (laughs) The Discomfort
8: Caused by Lenny Bruce. (laughs) Uh, Back to the World of Delicious Things to Eat, Hamburger Meat, and a Sad Book, perhaps.
0: Ground Beef Mm -hmm. and a Bound Grief.
8: Exactly. (laughs) Bound Grief.
1: Good.
8: Here's your last one, a little California one. This is a 2011 film and 2003 book about the Oakland A's innovative general manager Billy Bean – and it's a place where rabbits go to shop. So it's money
0: Moneyball and, and Bunny, bunny mall. mall. Exactly. I would like to go to a bunny mall. Yeah. I definitely want to go to a bunny mall.
8: Is it a place where rabbits shop or where you go to buy rabbits? I though, just then? hope they
0: don't mind being petted. <laughs>
8: Oh, you my it's a crowded goodness. bunny mall. You can squeeze right in there with all those furry little beasts. They're popping
1: up all over the place.
8: Uh, where are my ears? They're
1: multiplying. Thanks, Greg, for the quiz. Super it's fun. a pleasure. Greg, that was amazing.
8: See Take- you at the bunny mall. <laughs> Take care, buddy. bye
1: <laughs> If you want to talk about language, this is the place. Call us, 877-929-9673. Send an email to words at waywardradio.org. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi hi who's this this is Murray hi Murray where are you calling from
3: I'm calling from um, uh, Ontario Canada near Ottawa okay, okay. very good show. what nice can we do for you, you? well I've got a a question uh, about a phrase that's commonly used in uh, police circles here in in Ontario when we're uh, one of us wants the other to contact uh, by cell phone um, the common phrase is contact me on my shoe phone or contact me on my shoe hmm. and my question is, uh, I, I suspect this may come from Maxwell Smart, and have you ever heard of this phrase before?
0: Well, only from the television show Maxwell Smart, for me, anyway. That's the kind of goofy spy show, right? He's like the right. the hapless yeah. spy who, despite his mistakes, constantly catches the bad guy.
3: Right. And most of the uh, folks that use the phrase now, I'm older than, than a lot of them. Most of the guys have never, I, uh, and officers uh, have never seen this. Uh, a sitcom. It's an old 60s sitcom, isn't yeah,
1: it? Yeah,
2: yeah. Well,
3: 1965.
1: A, but
0: wasn't there a Steve Carell movie based on
3: it?
1: Oh, yeah. Is so
3: they've well, seen that. Is that a common phrase?
0: I, it's come up, I think I saw it in a Tom Clancy novel years ago, and it was a, in military circles, and I think they meant it was a phone that you kept on your person kind of surreptitiously. Like, mm. um, you might have a cell phone in your, literally in your boot, or you might have it tucked in a pocket and so that you could make like these calls to high command without kind of going through channels. You can kind of well, just skip yeah, the procedures.
3: Too. This one is not nearly as... The phrase we use is simply to call me on the cell phone. There's not, nothing uh, nothing okay. more uh, elaborate than that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, but it makes perfect... If someone yeah. said to me, oh yeah, I'm going to call them on my shoe phone, it'd take me a second, I might giggle, but then I think I would get it.
3: Oh, sure.
1: <laughs> but you guys say call me on my shoe?
3: Yes, call me on my shoe phone, call me on my shoe, cool. uh, especially if uh, you we're know, contacting cruisers... Um, car-to-car car or something, uh, and you have to get off the air for a more lengthy or, or private conversation.
0: Well, we should. Go ahead and explain for our younger listeners who haven't seen the movie or the television show what we're talking about.
3: Well, In the 1960s, there was a uh, spoof on the Cold War spies uh, and uh, sort of uh, East versus West, and the uh, spy hero uh, or anti-hero was uh, Maxwell Smart, and he had a number of technical... Uh, items at his at his uh, disposal, uh, one of which, long before cell phones were invented, was basically a, a cell phone—a small phone that would fit in the heel of his shoe or in a pen or in other places—and uh, it was uh, rather comical to see him reach into a shoe or a pocket or whatever and come up with a phone. Well, he, he,
0: right. well, what I was remembering, he had a heel that came off the shoe yeah. and there was a rotary dial underneath <laughs> and he would hold the, the sole of the shoe up yeah, to yeah. his face like a handset.
3: Yes, and I recall another uh, one, of the, one of the shows where um, he was on the shoe phone and he got a call on his pen phone and he had to put the shoe phone on hold. <laughs> he told the <laughs> fellow I have to put you on hold because I have to take my pen.
0: <laughs> perfect, perfect. <laughs> so that's great. So, so the police force up there in Ottawa
3: used this? Well, in uh, Ontario, at least in the, Ontario, uh, more than just the city, there's, there's other services as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know
0: what? We've got to hear from our other, I guess we have other listeners yeah. who are in the police forces around the country. My father was a cop for years and years, and I don't remember him ever using that, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist now.
3: They may not have had cell phones back in the day. Well, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, when he was a cop, they mostly didn't. That's true. But,
1: but my question is, it's said without any sense of irony or any reference to the show. People just say, call me on my shoe, and it's, it's just a normal way to say and it. it. And
3: then you just move on? And then you just move on. Is there a sense
0: of humor about it?
3: Or is it just...
1: That's my question, yeah.
3: Well, it's, yes, it's a sort of a lighthearted in-joke, right, or, or an mm-hmm. in-phrase. Mm-hmm. So, so
0: maybe your like, CEO wouldn't say it at a press briefing.
3: No, no, no. This wouldn't be, uh, this wouldn't be a, a public mm. okay, gotcha. uh, mm. usage of the phrase, just amongst uh, okay. ourselves. Oh, I love this.
0: I got I to gotta say, Murray, uh, if you come up with any more of this language that you think we should know, you should send us an email. We'll get you back on the show, all right? I'll do that. Because this is good stuff.
3: Okay, nice talking to you. All Thank right. you
0: for calling. Thanks really appreciate a lot. it. Take care now. Bye. Bye bye. You can call us on the show, 877 929 9673, or email us,
1: words at waywardradio.org.
0: Here's a little language discovery for you. Okay. Well, this is old news, but it's new to me. Okay. You ever heard the term knuckle buster?
1: Knuckle buster? No. These are
0: the old cha-chunk credit card machines. They call oh, them knuckle busters. Yeah, because if you use them incorrectly, you like scrape your knuckles across I the surface. I know that very well. Terrible devices. Yeah. The ones with the carbons on them, yeah, right? Yeah.
1: Knuckle yeah. buster. Do new... people still use those?
0: Occasionally, if they're little square readers not working. Okay. You know, those little devices you yeah, put to the endi- plug it into those, your phone. Right? Yeah. <laughs> If you've got a question about language, 877-929-9673. Email us, words at waywardradio.org.
1: Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Patty from Plano. Great to have you on the show, Patty. What's on your mind?
9: Well, I was talking to my brother, and we had kind of a, a, a moment of, where did this come from? And we recalled when we were small kids, there was this little rhyme that my grandmother used to shouted up the attic steps to us when we stayed at her house, and she wanted us all to hush and go to sleep. And we wondered where this rhyme came from. Here's the rhyme. It was uh, something like, order in the court, the monkey wants to speak, the first one to speak was a monkey for a week.
0: Order in the court, the monkey wants to speak, the first one to speak was a monkey for a week?
9: is yeah is a monkey for a week right
0: so, so you're at grandma's house up in the attic doing shenanigans instead of going to sleep and she <laughs> shouts this up the stairs at you
9: pretty much yeah <laughs> and then there would be you know an awful lot of giggling and holding your voice and not saying anything and then of course the major accusations of who was the monkey
0: <laughs> right right nobody wanted to be the monkey
9: <laughs> yeah but somebody inevitably was
0: always <laughs> Well, i never heard that one, but yeah, oh, I remember. My my father tended to shout things that were much more how shall I say blue up the up the stairs oh, at us. Oh really? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, not. And you did know. they work? Uh, never. <laughs> yeah right. I mean that's the thing, right? It, she gives you an ultimatum like that, or he yeah, does, yeah, and yeah. It, <laughs> how long did it work, Patty? Oh, you know. In, in kid time, probably 30 seconds. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which felt like forever. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So,
0: order in the court. The monkey wants to speak. The first one to speak was a monkey for a week. Uh, This is a great piece of children's folklore, and it's got a good history. We know that it dates to at least the 1950s in the U.S., in England, in Scotland. And it shows up again and again in some respected literature. You can find it in a 1953 book written by Saul Bellow. Um, And also, it shows up in a really interesting recording made of a man known as Babe Kaplan, or Israel Kaplan was his first real given name, but they called him Babe. And it was published in 1961, and it's called When I Was a Boy in Brooklyn. And the whole thing is just filled with profane jargon and and language and rhymes from the schoolyard, just total kid stuff that he was remembering from when he was a boy in New York City in, in the 20s and the 30s. But what's really interesting is how many versions we find of this popping up. Here's one. This is a longer one. Silence in the courtroom. The monkey wants to speak. Whoever speaks now is the monkey for a week. The monkey's in the courtroom eating a bowl of beans while Martha's on the toilet sinking submarines.
1: Now, wait a minute. <laughs>
0: well, you can put any name where Martha is there.
1: <laughs> but the version you found was with Martha? Well, no, I added sinking the Martha. Sinking submarines. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sinking submarines. I don't want to know what that means. <laughs> There's a ton of these. Did, did you all use that one, Patty? Not that far. Not that far.
9: No, ton- nobody accused anyone of, of submarines. <laughs>
0: but, it, but it pops up again and again. And, and some of the earliest mentions of it make me think that it's a lot older than the 1950s. Because all the only line that appears is, the monkey wants to speak. And it's mm. said in this kind of suggestive, hinted, referential way, as if everyone present in this particular work knows the whole larger explanation, the whole larger uh-huh, rhyme, uh-huh. and that they just needed to say the one line in uh-huh. order to make you think of the whole rhyme. Uh-huh. So I wouldn't be surprised to find, with a lot of digging that this goes back to the early 1900s or even earlier.
1: Yeah. It reminds me of last one there's the rotten egg. You know, I mean, it, you just don't <laughs> want to be that person, right. right? The rotten egg or right. the monkey.
0: Patty, so there's a long history to this, but thank you for sharing this. So most of us probably haven't heard that before.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. We were just a little
9: curious, so... Yeah, of it's... course we knew you would have the answer. We try. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, well, Patty. Thank you
1: very
9: much. Bye-bye. All
1: right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We love those family stories about language. Let us know yours, 877-929-9673. I learned something interesting the other day about poet Marianne Moore. Did you know that she was once asked by people at the Ford Company to help name a new car did she well she tried she tried to come up with um, some names for this new car that was coming out uh, in 1955 and uh, she thought about it for a while and here are the inspirational names for the new ford car they included resilient bullet ford silver sword varsity stroke pastelogram and my favorite utopian turtle top
0: um, okay. <laughs> what did they end up using? Edsel. Oh.
1: <laughs> I had no idea, but apparently this is in the... Uh, in...
0: It helps to have good source material. Yes. Maybe she just wasn't inspired by the machine.
1: I, I think Utopian Turtletop, I would buy one of those in a second. <laughs> no, you
0: wouldn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I might rent one. There's no
0: marketing a department alive that will let that name stand. <laughs>
1: I've heard worse. What about probe?
0: Uh, oh, oh, okay.
1: <laughs> Who wants to be rear-ended by one of those? <laughs> 877-929-9673. Hello,
7: you have a way with words. Hello, Grant. Uh, hello, Martha. This is uh, Pete. I'm calling from Bloomington, Indiana. Hi, Hi Pete. Pete. Welcome. Uh, I work at a food co-op. This is a college town, and so the the food co-op's a pretty big deal here.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: We have our, our share, or maybe more than our share, of uh and jeans and hipsters and we also have the uh, stocks and locks group the uh, Birkenstocks and dreadlocks and uh, so like we were we were just uh, chatting one day about the uh, increase in the number of vegans that uh, we serve at our food co-op and mm-hmm. elsewhere around town and it occurred to me that um, I've worked here for 30 years and uh, I don't remember uh vegan being a um, a word around much when I, when I started here, and so that uh, just got me to wondering if uh, I feel like uh, vegetarian is a word that's existed for a long time, but I don't know if that's true about the word vegan, um, and then I also am curious why it isn't vegan or vegan. With a soft G, because that's what's in vegetarian. Mm -hmm.
1: You're right. Yeah, vegetarian has been around a lot longer than vegan, and we know exactly where vegan comes from. It goes back to 1944. (laughs) Really? Yeah, there was a guy named Donald Watson, who was the founder of the UK Vegan Society, And uh, he wrote a newsletter back in the day called The Vegan News. And he suggested that that word be created by using the beginning of the word vegetarian and the Uh end of the word vegetarian. And he was interviewed about that term later on because there are different pronunciations of it. And he insisted that the correct pronunciation was vegan. Oh, really? Not vegan or vegan or vegan, although you hear people saying those from time to time. Mm -hmm. And I think a a couple of those end up in, in dictionaries. I've heard vegan.
7: I've heard vegan used uh, now and then. Yeah, um, I've heard it used it, a lot, actually.
1: Are you a vegan yourself?
7: No, I'm not. I see.
1: Okay. All right.
7: Um, I'm. I'm certainly into into natural food. Uh-huh. That's our focus here. But uh, um, on, under the heading of natural foods, we try to we try to specialize in anything anybody wants from us. So there it is.
1: Very good. Well, thanks so much for calling.
7: Well, thank you. I love the show, and I appreciate your uh, assistance on this subject. Sure thing. Thanks, Pete. Good day. Bye bye.
0: If you've got a question about the history of a word, we can try to help. If you've got a question about how to say it, we can help with that too. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. And find us on Facebook and Twitter. Technology, of course, gives us a lot of new words. Here's one that's new to me, maybe new to you. Morphe. Do you know this? Morphe?
1: How do you spell that?
0: M-O-R-P-H-E-E. Morphe. No,
1: I don't know that. These
0: are mobile devices that change. Uh, they can be a game player or they can be uh, uh, your phone or they can plug into the dashboard of your car. They're flexible, twistable. They can do all different kinds of things and take different shapes. And so they're kind of like universal electronic devices that interface with your your world. Very interesting. Yeah, morphies, oh. They You can hear that in the name. They morph. They yeah, change. So
1: it's a noun.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Morphe.
1: 877-929-9673. More of your questions and stories about language. Stay with us. A recent poll found that 82% of Americans believe that women should have social, political, and economic equality. But only 20% of those same respondents said that they'd actually call themselves a feminist. So what's going on here? It turns out that... Some feminists, in fact, are now wondering if it's time to ditch the label feminist. And that really surprised me, but there's an arresting essay on this topic online by Abigail Rine, and she's a professor at George Fox University in Oregon, and she has two advanced degrees in feminist studies, but even she is increasingly ambivalent about the word. She says that if you call yourself a feminist, a lot of people get immediately defensive, and then you spend half the conversation trying to put them at ease and saying, some of my best friends are men, you know, I'm married to one, whatever. And so much so that this term feminist actually gets in the way of the information that she's trying to impart. And so she talks about how feminism has a branding problem, and she asks the question, why are we hell-bent on salvaging the label? We talk on the show all the time about language changing and words evolving, and this feels like an instance where a word might be evolving right under our feet. And indeed, if you're talking to other feminists, there's no problem with saying it, Mm -hmm. but it seems to me that increasingly feminists... Many feminists are having to do some kind of code switching, you know? It's a loaded
0: term, then, it. you're saying now, right? People yeah, assume th- that you're an evil man hater if you say feminist?
1: Well, I think that's an interesting question. What are people assuming? Right, if yeah, because you you what, what, what,
0: why do they immediately have to go on the defensive?
1: Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, when I was coming of age, I thought that, that that was a great word for describing problems that were coming to light that people were beginning to talk about. Um, so
0: it was a little more neutral then.
1: Yeah, and I think, I think that, uh, you know, people have co-opted the term, mm-hmm. commentators have used it to, to, to box it in and, and make it mean one small thing.
0: So does the author of the piece suggest alternatives?
1: Um, she just suggests not even using the term. Oh, I see. And, and it's interesting. There's another term that's starting to float around, um, at least in the academic world, it's kiriarchy. K Y R I Archie, and it comes from a Greek word that means Lord. Uh, or master, like Kyrie Eleison, mm-hmm. you know, Lord have mercy. And some people are beginning to use the word Kyriarchy as opposed to Patriarchy. They're saying that the analysis of Patriarchy is too narrow, that there are all kinds of oppression, and that Kyriarchy reflects the fact that uh, that there are more things to be fought against than just gender discrimination, you know. there There's mm-hmm. racial discrimination and uh, other kinds. And they're all interwoven. Yeah, yeah. And, and, for example, part of it has to do with the fact that feminism got so identified with white women Mm -hmm. as opposed to women of color as well. And so kiriarchy is a term that people are starting to use, just starting to use. It was coined by an academic, so we'll see where it goes. Mm -hmm. But to reflect the fact that there are all different kinds of oppression, and if you're a white heterosexual woman, then you're in a position of privilege as opposed to certain other people. Right. You know?
0: Wow! Wow, that's a that's quite an unpacking <laughs> heavy duty there. Stuff, yeah, right? heavy duty stuff. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to link to that article. There are a number of conversations already underway on our Facebook page and our Facebook group about this article. Yeah, and we'd love to hear what you have to say about it as well. Yeah, that article I'm torn. again. It's what's the author's name?
1: Her name is Abigail Ryan, and I have to say I'm really torn about this because I I happen to like the term a lot, but she makes some very good points there. Um, so
0: look for that on our website. You can reach us if you've got questions or comments about this or anything at all related to language at eight seven seven nine two nine 9673, or email us, words at
6: waywardradio.org.
1: Hello, you have a way with words.
6: Hi, this is Eric from Eau Claire, Wisconsin.
1: Hi, Eric. Welcome.
6: How are you doing? Good. How, How can we help
1: you? We're doing well. How can we help you?
6: I've uh, got a question for you. When I was a kid, I enjoyed a um, delicious frozen treat that I called uh, Sherbert. Mm-hmm. And I went to my, my neighbor's house, who's like my grandpa, and he corrected me and said, no, no, it's bit." with no second R at the end. Mm-hmm. And he showed me the label, and he was right. So I changed, uh, I changed how I pronounced it, and I try to correct people when I hear it's wrong, when they say it uh, differently. Um, the debate has kind of escalated amongst my spouse and then uh, my coworkers. and I was just curious to know if you guys could clarify why there are two different ways to uh, say this word and then, uh, how much more right I am than they are? <laughs> yeah, I was
1: gonna. <laughs> I was gonna say. Tell us a little bit more about that debate.
6: You're millions more right. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Call over. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, I, I try to correct my wife, and she rolls her eyes. And and uh, so finally, I decided to pull my coworkers and say, "So how do you how do you say this?" And and one would say, "Oh sure, Bert." And you know, it kind of escalated. I found out I was the only one. Uh, maybe one or two others um, who actually um, said it. Sherbet. Sure
1: oh, really? Yeah. Interesting.
6: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though the label, uh, even though the label clearly says sherbet. Sure <laughs> uh, you're right.
0: You're you're absolutely right. Though it should be sherbet. Sure or if you just want to avoid the argument, just call it sorbet and be done with it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or sorbet. <laughs> Sorbet. I could do that, but then
0: I'd have to change my ways. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did that as a kid as well. It was sherbet for me. I didn't know mm-hmm. any better until I had a similar experience. Somebody said, "Oh, look, that's weird. We all say sherbet, but it doesn't. It's not spelled that way." I was like, "I was like, oh."
1: Well, I yeah, I looked at it. looked at a package once and and said, mom, it's it's spelled wrong on the package. <laughs> <laughs> it's got an R in there. I mean, it doesn't have an R."
6: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is this kind of related to the Wash word? A little bit,
1: thing? yeah.
0: It's a it's a form of intrusive R. It doesn't follow the exact same kind of um, behavior as the other intrusive Rs. This is when you put an R sound where one isn't called for according to standard pronunciation or the spelling. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It is really widespread, though. The sherbert thing pronunciation is so widespread um, that some places have, as you might expect, you know where I'm going with this, have just given up and go ahead and spell it with that second R, even though it's not required. Okay. Um, but okay. but the traditional spelling and pronunciation do not have that second R.
6: Sure. Now I live in a, I, I work in a pretty precise field uh, and um, you know so is there any way you can quantify how much more right I am? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is your field?
6: Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer and we make. Uh, oh, you more you, okay.
0: you are right by um, four million um, pounds per square inch.
1: Yep. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, that's just an estimate, though. <laughs> just an estimate,
0: give or <laughs> oh, take ten percent, oh. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be different when we actually get the parts. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> but but you're you're good to go there. Just uh, although I, I just want to make a tiny little note. You probably should avoid correcting people unless they ask you to. Yeah.
6: Okay. Right, I can. But you that. can tell
0: them. <laughs> everyone that you've broached this subject with before, you can tell them that you're right. Yeah. Okay. They owe you. Okay. Thanks, everyone. I'll
6: escalate it to match their intensity. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, there we go. Thank you very much. Very good. Bye.
1: Thanks a lot for calling. Bye-bye. If you have a dispute in your workplace about a word, you can call us at 877-929-9673.
0: When the great lexicographer Noah Webster decided to establish some new changes to English spelling in the Americas, mm-hmm. one of the changes he wanted to make was to take these words that are in English from Greek origins, yep. where we have a ch pronounced with a K, mm-hmm. and just go ahead and replace them in spelling with a K. So a word like chorus would have been spelled K-O-R-U-S. Oh,
5: really? Or the word
0: character might have been spelled (laughs) K-A-R-A-C-T-E-R. Of course, this is one of those places where his spelling reform didn't work at all. Uh But it's interesting to go back through his notes and see that he had a very vast plan for changing the American English. So if all of his changes had succeeded, our English would probably look as different from British English as, say, Haitian Creole does from French. It's really interesting.
1: That is fascinating stuff. But
0: very few of the changes he wanted to make actually lasted in American English.
1: Yeah, just a few. Just a few. I wonder why.
0: Because uh, we're stubborn. And also, yeah. at the time he was wanting to make these changes, yeah. a lot of what we were reading was British.
1: Right, right, right. And spelling reform tends to be a bust right? It anyway, almost always right? fails yeah. because the
0: kind of people who lead it tend to be pompous and misguided. Yeah,
1: yeah. Although Teddy Roosevelt tried, too. Pompous. Maybe not
0: misguided, <laughs> but definitely pompous. <laughs> 877-929-9673. Email words at org.
5: Hello. You have a way with words. Hello, Martha. Grant. Uh, this is Rolf Gidlow from Stratton, Vermont.
0: Hi, Ralph. What's up?
5: Hi. I was calling um, because recently I've heard the word reticent used when I really think it should be reluctant. And it happened often enough that I got to wondering if they've actually become, if those two words have actually become synonymous.
0: Mm -hmm.
5: Um, I don't see them as being related at all, but it was i think it was a radio reporter or something saying that so and so was reticent to say anything and clearly i would have used reluctant so i know that words sometimes their their meaning shift and i was wondering if this might be one of those cases mm-hmm.
0: there has been a little bit of shift but tell us in your own words what you think the difference is between reluctant and reticent
5: well i see reticent more as a characteristic um someone who's Maybe a little averse to speaking, um, who just doesn't say much, or maybe a little taciturn. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas reluctant is just not wanting to say something because either you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, or else you don't want to like if there's something going on that you don't want to conjecture, uh, you don't want to <clears throat> offer information that may not be correct. So yeah. I see I see reticent as a characteristic, and right, reluctant as something that more. You know, an unwillingness to being cautious about speaking. Um,
0: that could be used. The pragmatics of <laughs> both of these word, words aren't completely clear. Probably more simply put, we might say that if you are reluctant, you can be reluctant to do anything. So mm-hmm. you can be reluctant to go jogging or reluctant to um, yeah. go to dinner with your in-laws or what have you. But if you're right. reticent, it really only applies to one thing. You are reluctant to speak. Mm-hmm. And whatever your motivations are for being reluctant, we don't really know because it's not contained within the meaning of the word. But you're mm-hmm. reluctant to speak and therefore you're reticent. But so... So the problem that you're hearing, I'm pretty sure, because we've all seen it, and this is it's very common, is people say, he was reticent to go to the store to buy more milk, or he was reticent to stand up in court and speak up for himself. You're like, well, exactly. Um, the first one is incorrect. The second <clears> one <throat> is probably correct. So oh, it's, okay. reticent is just about speaking.
1: Yeah, and I interestingly see. enough, I mean, you mentioned the word taciturn, and both reticent and taciturn come from the same Latin root, which means uh, to be silent. It's like tacit. No yeah. So, there's a connection there and a good way to remember it. Uh-huh. And I like having the distinction.
5: Yeah, to me, they mean very distinctly different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, all right, well, thanks okay. Rolf, for, for the call. I hope You're that helps.
5: Right. You're Thank right. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're
1: all
0: spot right. on. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye.
1: Call us with your language questions, 877 929 9673.
0: Here's a writing term I didn't know. A plot bunny.
1: A plot bunny? Do you know what a
0: plot bunny is?
1: Oh. All right, no. so you're
0: writing something, yeah. let's say a piece of fiction, yeah. and you get this wild idea when you're driving around doing errands or you're doing your daily business, and you're not at the table writing, yeah, right? Yeah. And you just can't stop thinking about your plot bunny. And you <laughs> have to write the plot bunny. The plot bunny is the thing that you just can't stop thinking about, and you must put on paper. Plot bunny. We'd love to hear words that you've just discovered. 877-929-9673. Email us, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words.
10: Hi, this is Lori from North Carolina.
0: Hi, Lori. Where in North Carolina are you?
10: Well, I'm standing in Jacksonville, North Carolina, but I live in Swansboro. Okay. I have lived here in North Carolina for about seven years now, and there are a group of people who live in Carteret County. They're, oh what we call down east, over towards Harker's Island and out that way.
5: Mm -hmm. Mm
10: -hmm. And my husband worked with many people like this, and they would use a word that was called pure t momicked And I always thought the word meant something like, I don't know, confused or angry Mm -hmm. or... um, it, it was just something different. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm one of those Yankees that moved down here and mm-hmm. I you know, where in the world would this word come from and do I have the use proper, I guess?
1: Mm mm-hmm. what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. So when would you hear this term? Um like a situation. A situation.
10: Well, if somebody's telling a story mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe somebody cut them off in traffic. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was purity momicked. Okay, right. <laughs> because somebody cut them off. I mean, the funny part of it is, if you go out into Moorhead City or over into Beaufort, you can even find T-shirts and coffee mugs with this word on there.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> with, with momicked, huh? Y- yeah. 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 Well, you're right. It's a it's definitely a negative term that can mean anything from all messed up to harassed or bothered or teased or mm-hmm. even even beaten up. And um, <laughs> you hear it all over the South, but particularly in Eastern North Carolina, you hear that mm-hmm. sense of of it having to do with harassing or bothering. A cat might mummock a mouse before it uh, oh. actually kills it. That kind of thing. Okay. And it goes back to an old word that actually means to tear into pieces. M a m m o c k Mommock. And, in fact, Shakespeare used it that way in one of no his way. plays. No Yeah. yeah but know it's... that. I'm
10: an English teacher. Hello. Ah, very <laughs> good.
1: Very good. Well, we'll go look at Corollianus because okay. that play uses that sense of the word, um, mamek, meaning to tear into pieces. Okay. Can you spell that again? Well, um, the way that, that you probably see it on the coffee mugs or the T-shirts or whatever is M-O-M-M-I-C-K-E-D, right? Does that yeah. sound right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: But in the, the historical sense, it's M-A-M-M-O-C-K, right, yes. momic. Yes, correct. And there's, That's how she there's the verb and like the nouns. The noun just means pieces or shreds. Mm-hmm.
10: Okay. Mm-hmm. So you
0: might have a bunch of momic just be like residue or debris from, mm-hmm. from something. Mm-hmm. Oh,
10: kind of like your brain when you're confused. Exactly, (laughs) yeah. But but the
0: first part of that expression, pure T mommet. what's the pure T? Pure and T, I don't
1: know. Like the letter T, is that the way they're spelling it? Yeah. That's a fun one, too. Um, The pure T is a version of pure D, and if you're uh, a good uh, conservative Southerner, you might say pure D instead of pure damned. That's what that means. Oh, (laughs) Okay. Very interesting. So
10: we're trying not to cuss. So, exactly. So purity really basically
0: completely or totally. Yes. <laughs> yes,
10: <laughs> yes. Just pure, well, damn, messed up. Okay. Great.
0: Awesome. All right, well, thanks for calling, Lori. We really appreciate the question.
10: <laughs> thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Looking in the historical record, we can find that mommic does pop up all over North America. But for some reason, it's become associated with just the Carolinas, right? Mm-hmm, it's kind right. of what we call a chamber of commerce word. They're rather proud that they have it, right? Right.
1: Sort of like UFTA up in the uh, yeah. In the north.
0: So when you want to find out, you know, when you start to talk about what a real local is, that's one of the first things that they bring up is yes. language like pure tea, mommic. Yeah. I like it. If you've got language that you think makes you a local, we would love to know what it is. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. We had a lot of late cold weather this year, which spawned a term that I'd never seen before. Okay. People were talking about it being February 90th. Because <laughs> it's like a February lasted for two more right, months. Right, <laughs> right. I like that. February Boy. 90th. That's yeah. a very cold spring.
1: Yeah, you could extend that in the summer, right? <laughs> right. July right. 90th. July Global 90th Warmth.
0: <laughs> Global warming. Nice. Email us words at waywardradio.org.
1: Things have come to a pretty. That's fast. the end of this week's show.
0: For more Away With Words, including hundreds of episodes, a blog, a newsletter, a dictionary, mobile apps, and conversations with other listeners, go to waywardradio.org.
1: Our phone line is open 24 hours a day, 877-929-9673.
0: Emails great to words at waywardradio.org.
1: We're also on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, and Google+.
0: Our production staff includes Stephanie Levine, Tim Felton, James Ramsey, and Josette Herdell.
1: Away With Words is produced and distributed by Wayward and... Inc., a nonprofit supported by caring listeners and sponsors.
0: Just as we do, they believe in lifelong learning, better human communication, and the value of a thing well said or well written.
1: The show is recorded at Studio West in San Diego, California. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. So long. Bye-bye. Neither,
9: neither, let's call the whole thing off. You like potato and I like potato, you like potato like tomato and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. But oh, if we call the whole thing off, then we must part.